This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning, everybody. Go ahead and grab a seat. It's good to see everybody this morning. Um, Hey, summer's here. Have you noticed? Yes, indeed. Yeah, school's out. Yeah, and that means that uh, teachers are having a great time and parents are panicked. That's how that works. So uh, I just wanted to say good morning to all of you. A special welcome to those of you who are our guests and here for the first time. Uh, Welcome to a church where uh, you belong just as much as any of the rest of us. Um, This church is designed to help you feel right at home. Everything that I'm going to teach or say this morning doesn't rely on any prior Bible knowledge. While we would love it if you have a Bible, it's not necessary for you to have a Bible. In in our church service times, everything that I'm going to read from the Bible will be projected up on the video screens. So we want you to feel right at home. Let me give you, introduce you to a couple of tools. One is a learning tool, and the other is a connection tool. The learning tool looks like this. It's a sheet of notes, and and, uh, you can fill in the blanks as we go along and write in some other things that I will give you as we go along. Uh, I always tell people that if you will read through that one time during the middle of the week, you'll probably triple what you learn and remember from this morning. And I would also say this, when you come to church, if you don't learn anything that you didn't already know, nothing will change in your life. So we work to make every church service a learning experience because we want you to grow and develop as you connect with God. And so that leads me to the second tool, which is this long skinny card. We affectionately call it our connection card because it enables you to connect directly to our staff. And uh, when you decide that you want to connect with God, we hope we get to be the church that helps you make that connection And so, if you'll put your name and email address on the front, we do that every week uh, at our church. And on the back side, there's places for you to ask for information and a place for you to indicate how you're going to apply or you intend to apply what we're going to talk about this morning. And so, once you have your name and email address on the front side, set that aside and, uh, and we will collect those at the end of our service when we collect the tithes and offerings. So, we are in the middle of a teaching series, and uh, before I get into that, let me just make an announcement that I think is, is kind of fun. This morning, we sent about 30 people to Mexico. Isn't that awesome? Yep. We would like for them to come back. We didn't just send them there, all right? But we sent them there on a short-term mission trip. About half of them will be building a house for a homeless family down there. And the other half will be working in an orphanage. And altogether, God's going to be working not only through them, but on them. And when they come back, they will come back uh, more deeply connected with God. There will be new relationships that are built. And God, God always has a work that he does in our lives, no matter what we're doing. If we're open to it and aware of it, he does great things. So this morning... We're going to continue our unwavering teaching series, which is really about leadership. 
And right away, I want to review the very first thing that we learned, and that is everybody leads. Leadership really is influence, and everybody in the world has influence. But I, I want to back up even further than that and teach you something this morning that I, 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 you got to know it, or, or what I'm going to teach you this morning is not going to do you the kind of good that it needs to. The first person in the world that you need to lead is yourself. If you cannot lead yourself, you will not lead other people well. And today, I'm going to talk about how to lead in uncertainty. And, and that's a huge topic, but I think more than at any other point in time, when times are uncertain and there's chaos everywhere, and there's either real disaster or potential disaster lurking, the first person you have to lead is yourself. And every principle I'm going to teach you this morning, and I'm, I'm going to teach you five steps to, to take in uncertain times before you take your organization through that, before you take your family through these five, before you take your children or anyone else that you lead through these five, you have to take yourself through these five. And they will help you deal with uncertainty. So everybody leads. The second thing we learned is that if you're going to lead well, you have to lead from a full heart and a full spirit, not an exhausted one, and you can't lead well with an empty tank. So if you want to lead well, you have to invest in yourself and make sure that you get your heart and your spirit full to overflowing. Because when you and I lead from an overflowing heart and spirit, it's infectious, contagious, and it works really well. But when we lead from a dry place, it's just tough. We don't typically lead well, and no one really wants to follow. You probably noticed that, right? Yeah. The third thing that we learned, <clears throat> Kevin taught us last week, and that is great leaders, they have this thing that people want to follow them, and one of the things that makes people want to follow them is they not only talk about where would be a good place to go, but they have the guts to look at where we are today and to make us understand why we can't afford to stay here. Because all of us have, to some degree, on the inside of us, some natural fear of change. And I'm going to address that a little bit later this morning. But great leaders understand that, and so they begin to, to share with people not only this irresistible future, which is wonderful, but also the reasons why we can't really afford to stay here. And then people will want to follow and so today we're going to talk about leading in uncertainty. I didn't leave a place for this in your notes, but you might want to write this down. If there's anything that's certain in life, it's that you will experience uncertainty. Got it? Every endeavor that you put your hand to, every great thing that you try to accomplish in your life will take you for sure through periods of great uncertainty. It's just one of those things in life. And I know, as, as I was praying about this message uh, earlier this week and was praying about it this morning, 
God emphasized to me over and over again, Ron, remember that there will be people sitting in the audience this morning who are right in the middle of uncertainty. And my prayer for you is that you will hear something this morning that will speak to your spirit so that you can say, I actually know what to do about this now. And, and you can leave from this place and you can begin to walk through these five steps and, and they will be sort of like your GPS through the valley of uncertainty and they will lead you to the certain place of God's great plan for your life that might be difficult for you to see now, but he can see it absolutely clear. And if you follow him, he will take you there. For the rest of us, my prayer is that we will be, number one, not surprised when uncertainty comes and turn our eyes to the heavens and go, why me? Because, the, you know what the answer is? Because you're alive. If you're living, you're going to experience uncertainty. We live in a broken world. It, lunacy would be to believe that I could live in a broken world and never encounter brokenness. Hello. Right? So my prayer is that you won't be surprised, but my prayer is also that you will be prepared so that when uncertainty comes, you will know what to do. And you will be able to just start these steps and work your way through them. Now we're doing this whole series um, as we sort of walk through the life of one of the Bible's characters who was a great leader, perhaps one of the greatest leaders of all time. His name is Nehemiah. Little backstory: <clears throat> Nehemiah is sort of the, the captain of the secret service for the most powerful king in the world. His name is Xerxes, and uh, Nehemiah is the guy who's charged with the safety of the king. But Nehemiah is, is, is not a Persian like, like Xerxes is. Nehemiah is a Jew. And he and his nation have been captured and deported. And he was basically uh, a slave who worked his way up uh, in, in the palace and eventually became the most trusted slave uh, in the palace of the king. Now, Nehemiah has a couple friends who come from the capital city of his home country, Israel, which in the capital city is Jerusalem. And Nehemiah says to his buddies, How are, how's everything back in Jerusalem? And his buddies go, it's worse than you can imagine. It's awful. Our capital city looks like a garbage dump. Actually, it is a garbage dump. And Nehemiah's appalled, and he's grieved. And when he goes in to uh, serve the king, the king looks into his eyes, and the king immediately spots that something is wrong and says, Nehemiah, what's up, man? And Nehemiah goes, well... I just got news today of my capital city, and, and I'm brokenhearted about it. And the king says, well, you're my man. What do you want to do about it? And he said, I'm going to go back, and I want to clean up the junk, and I want to rebuild the wall around the city, and I want to make it a glorious city once again. And the king said, hey, I'm with you. That's your hometown. That's a city in our empire. Let's make it good. Let's make it beautiful. Let's make it glorious. And so Nehemiah got permission to go back, 
and rebuild the city. The king actually opened up the treasury and said, whatever you need, you know, my wallet is your wallet, have at it. And Nehemiah heads back to rebuild the wall. <clears throat> and when he gets there, he rests for three days. It's about a thousand mile journey via donkey. So he was probably pretty tired. At night, he circles the city and, and surveys the, just the, the, the terrible shape that it's in formulates a plan in his mind, sits down and, and explains to the people why they can't stay where they are and this irresistible future of this grand and glorious city that is the capital city of their country and how it can be glorious once again and the people all get on board with that. And everything is going great until somebody decides that's not such a great plan. And that's where we're going to pick up the story because Nehemiah encounters the three sources of uncertainty that you and I will encounter most often. And here they are. Here, Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews. By the way, there's the first form of uncertainty and discouragement that you and I will get, and that is psychological opposition. You can see it right there. He mocked the Jews, and he did it by doing three things. Number one, he said in front of his friends and the Sumerian uh, army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day? You know what? The first thing he did is he challenged their resolve. So you guys think this is a small project. Well, I've got news for you. This is a major project, and you're going to get tired in the middle of it, and you're going to quit. And oh, by the way, I'm here to make it worse than it, was, than it needed to be. Right? He challenged their resolve. Secondly, he said, do you think you can rebuild it in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? He challenged their beliefs. He saw that they were worshiping God, and he thinks, oh, that's your answer. You're going to take on this monstrous project, and you think, because you're God's people, that somehow God is going to step in and do half of this job for you. It's interesting, oftentimes, whether it's around the water cooler at work, or it's your teenage children at home, and they don't even have to be teenagers to do this. Do they ever test your resolve? Yes. Do they ever question your beliefs? Of course. Yes, they do. People do at work. It's how people function many times. And last of all, he says, do they actually think they can make something of the stones from this rubbish heap? He challenged their vision. He said that vision's not doable. That's pie in the sky. You would be stupid to keep working on that. Nothing like that could ever actually turn out. And you and I will encounter psychological opposition. Listen, almost every endeavor you ever put your hands to, there will be a few naysayers in your life who will question it. Have you noticed that? Yeah. People who are poor leaders, listen to that. 
people who know where they're going say, okay, I understand you might feel that way. You listen for whatever truth is in there, and usually, if there's any, it's only tiny, but oftentimes there's none, and you just let it go, which is what Nehemiah did. And he said, the, and, and not only are they <laughs> rubbish heap, they're charred stones at that. They're defective, okay? So that's the psychological opposition. We pick up the story a few verses later, and we'll see the next form of, of opposition and challenge that comes to him. But when Sanballat, and here are his friends, Tobias and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. Now in the first passage, Sanballat flew into a rage, and now these people are really angry. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Now there's a subplot that's going on here that you need to understand in order to understand the story. And the subplot is that these people are the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites, and in the verse prior we talked about the Samaritans or the Sumerians. These are all people who hated the Jews, and these were all people who were appointed to positions of power by King Xerxes, and now they have an order from King Xerxes to fund this project for a group of people that they hate. Can you see a potential conflict of interest there? Yeah. Now here's what you and I need to know, and that is often when people oppose an endeavor that we have, and it's a great endeavor, and you wonder, why would anyone oppose this? I want you to know that usually there's a hidden backstory to why they're opposing you that you may never know. In some cases, you'll know it, but in other cases, you will never know it. And if you try to make logical sense of what they're doing based on only the information you have, you'll drive yourself nuts trying to figure that out. And in the end, you will probably come to the conclusion those people are just evil. Can I share with you, the, the less often you come to the conclusion that those people are just evil, the less frustration you will experience in this life. I think you're better off to say, I don't have all the facts. And therefore, you can feel sorry for them without concluding that they're evil. So, here's what they did. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. This is physical opposition. Okay? And oftentimes in physical opposition, people will actively try to undermine what we're doing. Have you ever experienced that in life? If you have children, you have. Okay? If you have a position of leadership at work, you have. If you work in any civic organization, you have. It's just how people get sometimes. And they will actively undermine something because for whatever reason, it seems threatening to them. Or some ideal they have, or more often, it ties into some um, maybe not even completely logical fear that they have. 
And then sometimes they'll not only work to physically undermine what you do, they will actively lead a charge against you. Right? And they'll, tr they'll, they'll try to marshal the troops and we're going to go in and talk to the boss and, and, and so forth. And I, I can remember a time or two when our children came to straighten us out. And they had figured it out behind the scenes. And they were here to make sure, you know, to, 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 to enlighten their sadly misinformed parents. Um, and they had been quite active in putting that plan together. So that stuff just comes. But Nehemiah's not done. There's, there's a third form of uncertainty that you and I encounter. And this one is a little more insidious because the first two are out here. This one comes from in here. And notice what happens. This is an inside job. Then the people began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there's so much rubble to be removed. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. You know what this is? This is internal discouragement. Have you ever noticed that normally when you start a task, that there's no task in the world that you start, and once you get into it, you think, man, this was way easier than I thought. Usually it's the other way around, right? You start a task, you think, ah, oh, I think I, this is not that hard. And when you get into it, you find out, man, this is why nobody else is doing this. This is really hard. It's way more work than I thought. This internal discouragement usually happens from two things. Number one, the task is bigger than what I thought. Or number two, the progress is slower than I expected. And at that point, we, get, we hit a fork in the road and we either decide to crank up our resolve and, and, and muscle our way through it or we decide, eh, I'm going to put that on the shelf some more convenient day. I'll come back and pick it up. Anybody have any projects at home that are waiting for a more convenient day and they're half done? Every person in this room does, right? Yes, because we encountered that moment, and in that moment, we put it aside for a sunshiny day. Yes. And that's where uncertainty comes from. Now listen, friends. If, if you're working on a planter for your patio, and you decide that project can wait for a sunny day, it can wait for a sunny day, and it may or may never get built. But you can't do that with the training of your children. And you can't do that with an important project at work. And I want you to listen very carefully here. You cannot do that in leading yourself through uncertainty. You can't put that project on hold and wait till you feel like leading yourself. Because it will only get worse. Do you agree with that? Yeah, it will. It will only get worse. So, there are five things that Nehemiah does. And they are terrific. And let's jump into them. So, here's, we'll pick up the, the passage. This is how Nehemiah is going to respond. Five steps to take. Nehemiah said, then I prayed. 
Step number one, I know you're getting ready to write down prayer, but it doesn't actually fit in the blank. Stay calm, okay? And one of the best ways to stay calm was go pray. Yes, because God can give you a calmness of spirit that you cannot white knuckle. You understand what I mean? I will be calm. I will be calm. (laughs) We've all done that, right? Yeah, Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you? Yeah, you can't do that. So Nehemiah, the first thing that Nehemiah does is he said, I need to go pray about this. And I need to receive from God this thing called peace. Now listen, oftentimes we've heard speed of the leader equals speed of the team. I want to give you a little variation of that. Peace of the leader equals the peace of the team. Moms and dads, when you're leading in your home and you're raising your children and there's uncertainty, do you realize whatever your level of peace is will be the level of peace your children have? And the more uptight you get and the more intense you get and the more aggravated you get, And the more you employ the old principle of beatings will continue until morale improves. Okay? Yeah, that's where your kids will be. So go pray. Receive God's peace. And then come back. And even if you have to take definitive action, and even if you have to measure out some form of discipline or punishment or whatever it might be. Do it with the spirit of peace and not in anger and not in panic and not in frustration and not in aggravation. None of those things. Come back and do it in a spirit of peace and love because the people that you lead, even yourself, deserve to be led by a leader who's not panicked. Step number one. Step number two. By the way, if you ever have a two-year-old, and many of you have, you employ that all the time. Your two-year-old is running, and they fall down, and they have an alley, and you pick them up, and the first thing you say is, you're okay. Right? It's all good. It's all good. I got a Band-Aid. No problem. You're okay. And if you can convince the child that they're okay, what happens? they quit crying. And if you can't convince the child they're okay, what happens? They panic, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know we never grow out of that? Adults need to hear, you're okay. It's going to be okay. And to some degree, not, not just, you know, if a kid falls down and breaks his arm, you know, and he's got a second elbow right here, you don't pick up the kid and go, you're okay, you don't need to cry. Because your kid looks down and goes, you're crazy. I'm not okay. Yeah. So you have to be truthful about this. But the people we need, we lead, need to understand that it's okay. Second thing is this. I called together nobles and the rest of the people. You need to invite selected input. That's a, that's a really important thing. Invite selected input input. Well, why would we do that? Well, here's the principle behind inviting selected input. Input, here's a great formula, equals partnership 
Partnership brings buy-in, and buy-in creates a sense of unity. I want you to think about this. If you're in the middle of uncertain times, which one of these is going to create the most sense of cooperation? Orders that are issued or, invi- or invita- um, input that's invited. Which is going to generate the most cooperation? Probably the input that's invited. I'll give you an illustration of that a little bit later. But I, but I want you to understand the first thing Nehemiah did is he called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and he basically gave them this message, we're in this together, we can figure this out together. And that works in families, it works on the job site, it works wherever you are. If you want to raise the cooperation level of the people that you lead, pull them together and ask for their input. Okay? Now you have to be secure as a leader to do that, right? And you can't be threatened by whatever input that they give. The third thing to do is this. So Nehemiah said to them, Do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. You have to refocus on the vision. See, now here's something that you need to know about people. If people are following your lead, by and large, it's because they bought into the vision that you have cast for them of why they can't stay here and what this irresistible future is, this wonderful future that they want. When uncertainty comes, it takes their eyes off of this wonderful future and it causes them to forget why they can't stay here and it gets them distracted on some other thing that's not nearly as important as either of those two things. Your job as a leader is to get people back on mission and to to help them understand one thing. Our vision is still worthy of our commitment. There's a reason we started on this journey and that reason still exists today. And yes, we've encountered a challenge or two, but let's not forget where we're going. Now, you know what's amazing about this? Take a look at what verse I'm reading from. It's verse 14 of chapter 4, correct? Let's go back and read verse 6 of that same chapter. The wall was completed to half of its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. That was said eight verses earlier. So as they looked around the city, and, and, and they were experiencing discouragement, you know what, what had happened? They got so focused on the opposition of Sanballat and his buddies and fear for their lives and the threats that were coming to them that, that they failed to look around the city and realize that in just a few days they had already built half of the wall. The whole wall, there was no breach left in the wall, and the walls were actually up to half the height they were going to be. Had they made significant progress? Huge progress. But somehow in the middle, they got distracted because of the enemies, and they were ready to give up on the whole project, even though it was already half done. There's a lesson in there for you and me. Oftentimes in uncertainty, let's go back to our vision and recognize Now, what was our vision? 
And what kind of progress have we made? Oh yeah, okay, let's not get distracted by this. Let's deal with that challenge, but let's keep moving forward. I was golfing yesterday with, uh, with a guy that I had just met in a tournament. And he had two daughters, and his daughters both played a college golf. And, and a guy that I was with asked him, so how was it teaching your daughters to golf? And he said, you know, I had one statement, okay? Just keep moving forward. <laughs> and they might take a swing and hit the ball, and it might go only three yards. But I would say to them, that's forward progress. And you know something? There are times when you and I need to tell that to ourselves. We took a big swing. We didn't get the ball sweet. We only got the top of the ball. It bounced about five or ten yards down the fairway or in the rough. And we have a tendency, that was a wasted stroke. Nope, that's forward progress. Might not be a lot of it, but we're moving in the right direction. And let's, let's remember, we're still moving toward our goal. Step number four is this. From then on, only half of my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. Does that sound like fun? No, that does not sound like fun. And the leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. By the way, when it says they stationed themselves behind the people, does that seem a little weird and odd? You go get them. We're back here, right? We're behind you, way behind you, but we're back here. No, that's not what it was. The people were out where the rubble was. They were building a wall inside the rubble. The people had their backs to the enemies while they were working on the wall, and the leaders stationed themselves behind the people to protect the people. Friends, can I tell you, that's a great image for what leaders do. They put themselves on purpose between the people they lead and the greatest points of danger. Okay? Great picture. So they stationed themselves behind the people. we got to go back and finish that. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that wasn't real efficient, okay? And all the believers had a sword belted to their side. You know something? Nehemiah came up with a brand new plan. He and his people, when he called together the nobles and the leaders and the rest of the people, and they came up with the plan. Nehemiah didn't say, we're going to stay with the plan we had. It was a good plan to begin with. No, he was flexible with his plans. And if you want to lead well through uncertainty, you have to learn how to keep the end goal in mind. You're not flexible about that. But the plans to get you there have to be somewhat flexible because you have to adjust to the uncertainty that's come your way. And so that's step number four. Be flexible with plans. There you go. And last of all, step number five is this. Well, let's talk about creating a culture where change is valued. Okay? I want you to repeat this phrase. And I know for some of you it's going to be really hard. But here we go. Ready? Change is my friend. Are you ready? Let's say it together. Ready? Change is my friend. Why would I say that? I'll tell you why. Listen, change is the only possible path from where you are to where you want to be. Got it? You cannot be here 
and not change anything and somehow end up here. Can't do that. Change is the only possible path that can take you from where you are to where you want to be. That's why change is always your friend. Okay? We all have some natural fear of change, but part of learning how to make progress in life is, is demystifying this concept of change, that somehow it's threatening to us. Change is one of the greatest things that could happen in your life, especially if it's a chosen change. That makes sense. Okay? And then number five is this. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. We have to be transparent in our communication. Nehemiah said, we got a trumpeter. The trumpeter's going to stand right by me. If anything changes or anything requires attention, the trumpeter's going to blast the trumpet. Everybody come right where I am, and I will talk to you straight up about what's going on and what we can do about it. Be transparent in communication. I want to introduce you to a little law called Zub's Law. And here it is. Generally, the non-informed individual, by the way, the difference between an uninformed individual and a non-informed individual is this. An uninformed individual does not know. A non-informed individual is someone from whom information has been kept. Got it? The non-informed individual can be expected to oppose whatever he or she does not understand. You got that? So the more often you tell your children, just because I said so, expect them to oppose that. There are a few times and places where that's appropriate, but they are very, very few. Generally, the non-informed individual can be expected to oppose whatever he does not understand, hiding his own ignorance by a degree of aggressive dissent. Don't you like that term? That means they're going to take action. Aggressive dissent roughly equal to the amount he or she does not understand. So the more ignorant you keep them, the more they will oppose whatever you're trying to do. I watched a leader from our church do this in just the most, not that, but all five of these steps in the most outstanding way. It was before I had written this message, so he hadn't heard this message, um, and yet he's a Christian leader, and when tragedy struck his company, and I'm t he, he leads a small company, and it was a major tragedy. Somebody in his company got killed on the job. Okay? And you can imagine in a small company, that's a major tragedy. I watched him press into God, and I watched God actually instruct him and lead him through all five of these steps. And so the first thing he did is he got everyone who worked for the company, he got them all together, but prior to doing that, he pressed into God, he called a couple of close friends, and he said, can we pray together? You know what he was doing? If I'm not calm, I can't lead my people well. He pressed into God. He received God's peace. He got his whole company together. And you know what he did? 
he invited input. He told them what had happened, and he said, you know, I've got some ideas about ways that we can respond to this, and, but part of the reason I've gathered you here is I know that you guys and you gals have ideas, and so we're here to try to figure this out together because we're going to walk through this together. And I got a front row seat to it because he invited me to come to that meeting. And I sat and I watched the employees of his company. You could just see them pull together. In that speech that he gave to his company, he refocused them on their vision. And he said, you know, our firm has a great history. And we've been doing what we've been doing for, for decades. And we're known as being a company that cares. And we care about the quality of what we do. And we care about the service we give. And we care about the clients that we service. And we care about our employees. And I just want to remind all of us of that. That that's what makes our company special. And that's why we're here. He refocused them on the vision. And then he said, I realize this is tough. So if anybody in this room needs to, to take the next two or three days off just to sort of deal with this, we can handle that. And we'll find a way to make that work. You know what he was being? He was being flexible with his plans. And when he started that meeting, he started out with transparency in communication. He said, now the reason I've gathered all of us together is because I want all of you to know everything I know. And I'm going to keep you informed, but here's what I know so far. Here's what happened. Here's what we know about what happened. Here's what we don't know about what happened. Here's what the future is going to look like. Here's what we're going to do to investigate what happens. Here, here are the legal processes we have to go through here are the things we can do. Here are the things we can't do. Does anybody have any questions? You know, as, as I was reading through this message, and in my mind I was going back and replaying the tape of that meeting, I realized that that guy was giving to his company outstanding leadership in the most uncertain time his company had ever faced. And I realized... He did it by pressing into God, and God led him through those steps. I hope you find that challenging. I hope you find it inspiring and instructional. And I hope this week, if, if you're here and, and, and you're going through uncertain times, um, I'll be hanging out in the lobby. If you have any questions you want to ask, please feel free to stop by and ask those questions. Now, we have a couple of things to do as we wrap up. Ways that you can apply this. Number one, there are some very interesting questions that you're going to process in your life groups this week. One of the best things, as I sat down and met with the, uh, uh, the staff person that goes over this stuff, they said, please have the people process the questions before they come to life group, okay? So uh, if you're new to New Life, uh, our life groups, those are small groups of people that meet throughout the week. We process the questions about the teaching that we get in the, mor the Sunday morning. So please process those questions. So that's number one way you can apply. Number two way is this. There's a 17-minute video by Andy Stanley on leading through uncertain times. 
Uh, if you want to look at that 17-minute video, it's got three of these steps in it. It's a great video. Um, you, you check that box, and I'll send you a link to that video uh, so that you can watch it later this week. That's the second one. The third one, I think we're getting there. I will get you the third one. You can actually read it. The third one is, I will take a specific area of my life that's where I'm struggling with uncertainty. I'm going to take it through these steps. This is where you're leading yourself. And last of all, I'm making a decision, a first-time decision to follow Christ. If you're ready to make a, a first-time decision to follow Christ, uh, based upon what Justin said this morning about uh, Christ paying the debt that we couldn't pay, and that forgiveness of our sins is found because of what Jesus did on the cross and, and the beginning of getting really connected with God happens through that, that experience with Jesus. I'm going to give you a prayer that you can pray, and here it is. And let's all bow our heads. If you're ready to pray this prayer, then, then you can say it in your heart, and, but mean every word of it. Lord Jesus, today I come to you for the forgiveness of my sins. I trust you and what you did for me on the cross. And I commit the rest of my life to following you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that choice, please check that on your card. I want to I make sure that we partner with you well in starting that journey of following Christ with the rest of your life. We're going to be receiving an offering. If you're brand new to New Life, please don't feel obligated to give. Please feel welcome to if you want to, but please don't feel obligated. The, for the rest of us, this is our opportunity to, to partner with Jesus in, in a financial way to actually fund his work around the world. Part of the reason those people are being able to go to Mexico today is because of what you and I do on a regular basis in giving to the causes of Christ. So uh, you can turn in your Connect card. You can put your tithes and offerings in the baskets as they're passed. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have uh, chosen to give us more than we need so that we can turn around and fund your kingdom in a way that we get blessed by giving. And so now, God, we give with hearts that are just filled with gratitude uh, and thanksgiving. And we bless you with our gifts. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a couple of announcements uh, to make, so I'm going to ask you to uh, sort of multitask. After our third service today, uh, we are offering a thing called the Taste of the Summit. Uh, I'm excited to tell you we have already have 93 people signed up for Taste of the Summit. That is going to be an awesome time. Yes, I, yes, that, that there's... There's one of those things that Kevin would say, are you ready for spontaneous applause? Yeah, there you go, all right. Um, the Taste of the Summit, Global Leadership Summit, is coming to new life. We are kicking off our registration drive today. Uh, my prayer is that 100 people or more from our church will sign up for that summit. It's Thursday and Friday, August 6th and 7th, and it's an opportunity to receive training in leadership from the best leaders in the world. And we are a premier video venue site. Um, 
It's going to be a great time. I would anticipate we're going to have 150 or 200 people in this room, uh, including people from other churches and other organizations in our town and surrounding towns, uh, and it's just going to be a great time. Today we're offering a taste of the summit at 1 o'clock. Uh, we're giving a free lunch for people who come, but I have to put this one caveat in, okay? We have 93 people signed up, and we have 93 lunches. So you're welcome to come today, even if you didn't sign up, but please know you'll be at the end of the lunch line, okay? And then you'll be back there praying that there's a no-show, right? So that's how that's going to work, all right? We will have a great time, but the registration drive kicks off today. On the inside of your program, there's a little card that, that looks like this, and it has the New Life password. I need to tell you how important that password is. That password enables you to get a $189 registration for 89 bucks. Okay? So that ought to be enough to get your attention, right? Listen, this is not for your neighbors. This is not for a guy or gal at work that you know would be good. We want them to come, but they need to pay the guest registration. This is a perk that you get because you regularly come to New Life and because you give tithes and offerings and because we have allocated several thousand dollars to actually put this, this summit on, then the summit gives to people who are members and regular attenders of New Life a very special rate. Does that, does that make sense to everybody? So now what we have set up out in the lobby is we have four computers and you can actually register today, but you're going to need this code. We've got it out there, but, but bring the card with you if you want. And uh, we'll show you how to do that and you can get started today. You can register today for that. And the last thing that I want to remind you of, if you were not here last week, uh, June the 28th, we have a very exciting thing. Uh, we have a lady on our staff. I have a vested interest in this, by the way, for a number of reasons. Number one, this lady's been on our staff for uh, 15 years, and I put a lot of time and effort into mentoring, training, and developing her. But the biggest reason I have an invested interest in her is she is my daughter. And uh, we are ordaining her into ministry for the rest of her life, and we're doing that right here at our church one o'clock on June 28th. So if you want to be part of that, just make sure on that day you come to third service and hang around afterwards. Thank you very much. Thank you for indulging me in a few extra moments this morning. God bless you. Have a great time. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.